With the first pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson from Duke University. Welcome back to the Pelly Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Jesse Roger. With me tonight is Jonathan Palazzolo and Tyler Nye, and we're doing episode eight. So uh, moving right along here. Uh, how's everybody doing tonight? Good. I'm excited. I think we have a great episode here planned for you guys. All right, Jesse. Am I getting my rant today? I get my Jesse rant. I love a good Jesse, yeah, I love a good so, Jesse rant. Yeah, you're going to get it today. Um, we decided to do, uh, I guess, our take on... Over the next two weeks, we're going to give our take on the Pelicans team, what we think about the players, what we like about them, what we don't like about them, and even some, I guess, some random facts about them. But uh, basically, our process today is uh, this episode, we're going to do the guards. So this team is guard heavy. So each of us, uh, basically, we put some names in a hat. We each pulled out a player, and then we were tasked with analyzing that player and finding out what their strengths and weaknesses are and talking about them. So the players we pulled are, for me, I got Lonzo, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Etwan Moore. Tyler, who did you get? I got Josh Hart and uh, J.J. Redick, the podcast boys. And I got Frank Jackson and Drew Holiday. All right, so next week we'll be doing forwards and centers. Um, But basically, after we picked, uh, like I said, we were tasked with one thing. Well, not one thing, but things we liked about the player that made us most excited about him. Things is that scare us about that player, obviously some negatives, and uh, pretty much anything else you want to talk about with that player. Um, so we're going to give Jonathan the first crack at it, and uh, you're going to give us both your players, correct? Yeah, so I'll, I'll do both. Um, so I had Frank Jackson and Drew Holiday. So I'll start with Frank Jackson because I think Drew Holiday has a lot of information that I want to go over. So we'll begin with Frank Jackson and... I'll start with why everybody should be excited about this player and positive things that I noticed when researching this player. So the first thing that I found positive about Frank Jackson that stuck out to me was that he got significant minutes the last 10 games of last year. So when we kind of hung it up and we uh, Anthony Davis was out and we wanted to see what these young guys had, uh, Frank Jackson got a lot of minutes those ten, uh, those last 10 games. So I went and averaged out his statistics during that stretch of time. And here's what I found. He got 33.4 minutes per game, and he was able to put up 17.2 points per game. So if we're looking for a guy who can get us buckets off the bench and can score, I think, pretty easily... I think Frank Jackson's the guy, and I think he's shown that throughout the summer league, and I think he's shown that when he gets significant minutes with the Pelicans. Um, And the other thing I liked about him is the more that I researched Frank Jackson and the more that I started to look up how the Pelicans feel about Frank Jackson, it's nothing but confidence coming from, uh, uh, from the leaders in the Pelicans organization and the coaches. So we did a podcast a few weeks ago where David Griffin, um, we talked about a David Griffin interview where he literally stopped the interview to talk about Frank Jackson. 
So it sounds like he's very confident in him. Um, Antonio Daniels, who's our new color analyst, had a interview where he said he thinks Frank Jackson's a big part of the Pelicans organization this year. And then Alvin Gentry's excited about what he brings off the bench. So in terms of his ability to score, um, I think his highest game last year, I have it right here actually, was 25 points against San Antonio when he shot 10 for 20. So you see a guy, when he's given high volume, he can put the ball in the basket. What you guys think about him? So the high volume thing kind of scares me, right? Like mm-hmm. you talk about a high volume shooter. I guess when you're coming off the bench, we're not looking for a volume guy necessarily. We're looking for a guy who can efficiently shoot the ball with limited minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to sit here and tell me that he's going to come in the game over Redick. Um, he's not going to start over Holiday and Ball if that's who the starters are. So he's going to have to beat out Josh Hart, Etwan Moore. And, um, I mean, you could say Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but, I mean, let's be realistic. I don't think he's going to get that type of opportunity this year. So he's he's going to have to prove himself again. And I think in order for him to prove himself again, he's going to have to be efficient in those short minutes. So while we would love to have him play, what was that, 32 minutes, you said? Uh, 33. 33? Mm-hmm. Fuck, he's going to have like 15, maybe? Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if he's lucky. Most, right? Yeah, so can he still produce those numbers? I mean, look, if he if he has 15 minutes and shoots three of six, I'm still not upset. I mean, right. as long as they're efficient and nice shots, then I'm not mad at him. Yeah, so uh, I guess a couple questions for you, Jonathan. His usage percentage is going to be a lot lower this season than last season, to Jesse's point. So as far as that, that kind of leads into my next question, so I'll just ask the next one. Uh, backup point guard, is he our backup? I think as of right now, he is. From everything that I'm hearing through interviews with our coaches, uh, podcast where Griffin comes in and talks about Frank Jackson, it sounds like he is going to be given the opportunity to be the backup guy. Okay. And it, what's funny about that, he might be the backup point guard because as far as the other guys, we don't see them really bringing the ball up the court with the ball in their hands. But as far as guards, you'd have to put him fifth, right? He's the fifth guard. I mean, yeah, if you're going to rank them like that, yeah, I'd say so. So it's it's interesting but i think as far as like you know just pure athleticism explosiveness he's he's got it but like i said before we got to see that in game yeah and i'm happy you said that because he was a top 10 recruit coming out of high school for those that didn't know and his nba comparison across the board was russell westbrook so he has that type of explosive ability he has that type of um athleticism the problem as you guys have said is he only shows this when he has high volume type of minutes. And is he going to get that with the team this year? I think collectively we're going to say no. But the good side of that is if there are days where we do need rest for guys, because we've seen some brutal stretches in our schedule that we went over, maybe Frank Jackson gets 20 minutes in those games. Yeah, so what do y'all think the uh, maybe on a percentage base, the chance that he beats out Josh Hart? Josh Hart or uh, Etwan Moore for, you know, higher minutes. So I don't think it comes down to him beating out Hart or Etwan Moore. I think those guys are going to get their minutes as shooting guards, right? Like, those guys aren't point guards. They're shooting guards. And and Etwan will probably get some minutes at the three. Yeah, so I think Frank's time will come, 
if there's ever a point in the game where Lonzo and Drew are both on the bench. Mm-hmm. You think they'll stagger Lonzo and Drew? No. Okay. I mean, maybe a little bit, but not much. I just don't. I don't see a benefit in staggering lineups like that. Like, I think if you're gonna, if you you want your best five guys on the court at all times and maximize your chance of winning, that yeah. that it, at least to me that makes sense. So, in retrospect, you take out Drew or Lonzo first, or maybe you know vice versa, and then if both of them are off the court, you need somebody to run the offense and handle the ball. And I think I think Frank can do it. And if Frank can't do it, then he better watch his ass because. No, is going to come in right Nall's behind. Coming, yeah. One, one last question for you, Jonathan. Obviously, the uh, answer would be Drew for this. But besides Drew, what player would you like to see next to Frank in the backcourt? That's a great question. Um, since he's a young guy, I want to see a, a veteran beside him. So if I couldn't name Drew Holiday, it'd probably be JJ Redick, just the guy that he can give the ball to, and we can trust to make smart decisions next to him. Because even in a summer league, you see Frank Jackson get antsy at times when setting up the offense. So I want somebody smart next to him at all times. Yeah. So, again, these are things that I like about him. He scored 25 points this past season against San Antonio. He um, averaged 17.2 points per game. The Pelicans have a lot of confidence in him. He was a top 10 recruit. He went to Duke. We have that Duke dynamic that seems to kind of create like a culture on our team. Um but then let's get into the things that I don't like about him. And the biggest thing that I don't like about Frank Jackson, whether you're looking at the eye test or any statistic, is that he is not a good playmaker at all. He only averaged two assists per game when he was getting 33 and a half minutes. He was a high volume shooter. He, um, in the summer league games when he was the starting point guard you can tell he was nervous setting up the offense you could tell he was not the best at finding the correct guy in the offense or leading to an assist so throughout his career he's been a score first almost shooting guard that we're trying to put at point guard and it's kind of having an austin rivers type effect on it and that makes me extremely nervous and I even made a note on my little on my little notes that I have right here. Um, I made a side note that says Nikhil Alexander Walker because I think he absolutely is an amazing playmaker. And if Frank Jackson can't handle these minutes, he's going to be right there, just as Jesse said, ready to step in, ready to run the offense. And he seems like he can handle that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's nothing that I don't disagree with. I mean... That there was a point in time where I didn't even know if Frank Jackson was going to be on this team this year because I thought when we were weighing out whether he was a, a future potential player or Christian Wood, I thought the team would have went with Wood mm-hmm. over him for a second because, um, you know, it's always important to have a, a, a promising forward center, especially on this team that's so guard heavy. But the team obviously likes what they scouted on Frank and you know, I hope the best for him, but he's got like a, like just like you just said. You know, he's got some things to improve on. Yeah, and you know, not too many positive or negative things about him on defense. But you saw with the championship last year, the backup point guard was Fred Van Fleet, and he came in and shot the ball well and played good defense. Not too many assists off the bench. Um, maybe they see that as a role for him. I think that's the very very best case scenario with Frank Jackson would be like a Fred Van Fleet role. But he would have to come in. And play dog minutes. Like when when you think of Fred Van Vliet, like he came in and gave 120 percent 
for the time he had. Right, and they he were, did all the small things right. You know, do it for loose balls. So that's what that's what. And there Frank was there were stretches even during the playoffs, and this happened in a regular season where Fred Van Vliet just didn't play due to matchups. But in the minutes that he get he, that he got, he was successful. So I think that's the big question for Frank Jackson. Um, he's going to get limited minutes this year. Let's see if he's efficient and he does well with that role. The answer has been no in the past, so I'm kind of leaning towards that. But I'm hoping for the best as a Pelicans fan. All right, time to move on to that dude, Drew Holiday. Um, and there's a lot here, obviously. That I really like. So I'm going to start off with these two really big statistics that I saw in a breakdown of Drew Holiday. Um, you may have seen it. I think the name of the YouTube video is he's the most underrated player in the league. I don't know if you guys got to watch that yet. Yeah, that was by, by that Dawkins, Dawkins, I believe. Dawkins, free Dawkins. <clears throat> yeah, and early on in the video, he hits me with a couple of stats that I did not know. So the first thing was he is one of only four players in the past two years to make the all-defensive team twice. So he's on that list with Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, and Draymond Green. So he's that elite of a defensive player where he's one of four. So, I mean, I think you can even argue uh, that he is a top four to five defender in the league. Yeah, and to that point, I think he was like one of the only few players in NBA history that got a defensive uh, team spot on a, on a losing team. Yeah. So, I mean, his defensive presence, we talk about that often, but to hear it backed up with that statistic, with that fact, was amazing to me. And the other one was, he is one of only six players to average 20 points and six assists the past two years. And on that list is some heavy hitters. James Harden, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James. He's in that category offensively. So you're talking about a guy who is on a very short list for defense and for offense. And if you put it that way, and, and if you look at the offensive list, none of those de- none of those guys are anywhere near being what I would consider a good defender. Drew Holiday is a great defender. So just kind of, and I hate nitpicking stats because people do that often, but if you nitpick his stats just, just a little bit, 20.6 assists and talking about all defensive teams, Drew Holiday is in a class all by himself in terms of a two-way player. So I think um, those two stats really prove how amazing these past two years have been for Drew Holiday. And I think there's a big reason why people would call him underrated. Although, I don't know about you guys. I'm interested to hear if you guys think he's underrated. Maybe we don't think so because we get to watch him so often. But I think seeing these stats and putting them into these categories with such elite players might make him underrated across the league i think what's underrated is how much work he puts in uh he's got to be as far as workload right at the top um you usually see when players uh increase in their scoring production and uh offensive usage you usually see their defensive roles drop i mean that's why james harden got made fun of but it's it's really like a role thing by the Mm -hmm. team your job is not to focus on defense leave that for the guy Leave that for the other guys. Your job is to score. Um, and you even seen guys like Kawhi this year kind of dropped on defensive uh, metrics just because his job was to score. But when with Drew, his role to score went up, but so did his defensive mm-hmm. you know, metrics, uh, who he played against. 
that didn't stop. And what they put on that guy on a night to night basis, that's why they talk so high about him because the amount of work he had to do to sit there and guard the best player on one side of the court and then score 20 plus points on the other side is unbelievable in the NBA. So one thing I want to bring up is a lot of people are going to say, well, how will we handle now? How will he handle now being the the guy or that dude, you know what I'm saying? But honestly, I, from my point of view, that was last year, right? Like think about the players. If Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis didn't play that many minutes. So what was around him? Mm-hmm. He had to be that dude last year and still put up very good numbers. Now you're bringing him to a team this year that has capable NBA players. So I think he only gets better. Like I don't think it's going to be one of these things like, oh, Drew has a more Drew has a more important role this year. I mean, maybe in terms of leadership, but he actually has more talent around him this year than he's ever had. Yeah. And if you want to focus on scoring more for him, he has defensive help now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's amazing to me that he was able to put up these numbers and didn't have the best of teammates and has such a um, tumultuous season last year here in New Orleans. So we're kind of bringing in stability around them. We're bringing in talent. And I think these positive things about Holiday uh, is only going to shine even more. And to that point, he's a great defensive player, and he was asked to score 20 points every single night. But on top of that, he was asked to create a lot for other guys as well. So Mm -hmm. he put up six assists, um, you know, over six assists per game last year, closer to seven. And that was with the guys we had last year. We have a lot better finishers this year. So I think his stats across the board can go up, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, because J.J. Redick is obviously... Let's be, J.J. Redick is going to be the team's best shooter we've mm-hmm. seen in, in quite a long time, yeah. especially on things like catch-and-shoot threes. I mean, how many times have we watched uh, players like Darius Miller or... Um, yeah, yeah, like players like Etwan Moore, Dante Cunningham, Dante corners. Cunningham, like oh, just God. catch and shoot threes, like easy assist from Drew, and it was just like, yeah, clank right off the rim. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Etwan Moore is not terrible, but you know, like I said, the other two guys are just, yeah, it, it was, mean, it was, he's just there. There was opportunities there that players didn't finish with. right. And if you throw Josh Hart in the mix, his rookie season, he shot close to forty percent from three point line. So there's going to be better shooters. There's going to be better guys that finish at the rim. He is losing an Anthony Davis, but we do have a couple of other guys up there that finish well at the rim. So those stats that Drew excelled in last year with less of a supporting cast should only increase with the better supporting cast. I hope my logic's correct there. I don't think there's a um, zero-sum game with Drew's ability on the court. If he's successful, other people can be successful, and it can raise his... Um, abilities even higher yeah one other uh under talk thing about drew's game is his his ball handling abilities he actually i thought he had a turnover problem for a while but he kind of he kind of got to work on that but his shiftiness in the paint and being able to get in the paint i think helps a lot with his assist numbers yeah and his ball handling has gotten way better yeah when we first started him absolutely he did have trouble with turnovers he looks a lot better at that he looks a he looks a hell of a lot stronger too. Just yeah. by, I mean, I know it's Instagram and everybody looks strong you know, on yeah. Instagram, but I mean, just watching his workout videos and and you know with Anthony Davis and Frank Jackson in California, mm-hmm. he looks like he put up some muscle mass. Yeah, and not to the point where it's like it's gonna bog him down, but just more lean and cut. Yeah. And hopefully that you know 
Hopefully that translates to him being able to get to the yeah. basket and stronger. And I think Kevin Durant even talked about it. He was one of the strongest defensive players he's ever gone against. Yeah, and that translates well on the offensive end because he's not really going to shake anybody. Like you said, he's shifty. He's very calm. He's very under control. But once he has you beat, he's just overpowering you at that point. We saw that a lot in the Portland series when Damian Lillard tried to stick him and so did CJ McCollum. He wasn't shaking these dudes out of the boot, out of their boots. He just mm. got a step on them, and they couldn't go through them. Yeah, it's one of those elite talents that makes James Harden the player he is. Is mm. knowing when to slow up and you know when to speed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So obviously, a lot of like about Drew Holiday. Um, I'm gonna just spit off a couple of other things. He had a career high in points this year, a career a career high in rebounds, career high in steals. Um, with the injuries that he's had in New Orleans, I still think there's a lot of mileage to be had off of Drew Holiday. So that was one of my positives was that he has low mileage because of his uh, starting tenure in New Orleans. Obviously, Griffin is shouting him out to be MVP. And I put a big star next to the Portland series because I believe that's the type of Drew Holiday we can get on a regular basis if he's asked to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So here's the... Bad things about Drew Holiday that I came across. And it usually involves some type of advanced statistic because I don't want to get too caught up in these like basic numbers because there are a lot of players that put up basic numbers that look great, but they end up not transitioning well in the court uh, in terms of wins. And the first thing that I noticed was Drew's uh, PER. So PER is just an advanced metric that measures everything you do on the court. And I'm putting this as basic as I possibly can. Everything you do on the court positively gets some type of rewarded point. And then everything that you do negatively on the court, like turnovers or missed uh, missed free throws or missed field goals, fouls, those get rewarded points as well. And then they take the difference of those they adjust it for the minutes you played and the pace that you play at. So how many possessions do you play per game? And they give you a ranking. And Drew Holiday's PER was 19.43. And that would rank him as the 55th best player in the league, right above Jacob Pertle. Am I saying his first name correctly? Jacob Pertle. See? <laughs> exactly. Insignificant is what the PER statistic says. And right below that would be Nerland's Noel. Now, obviously, you take that with a grain of salt because of the team that Drew Holiday was on, but he needs to be in those top 10 to 15 ranking for PER, which is a heavy statistic, um, if you want to consider him to be one of those elite MVP level type of players. So number one this past year was Giannis, and number two was James Harden. Well, yeah, and I will say PER does favor big men. Yeah, because um, Anthony Davis was third Yeah, in that statistic. I think he's like third overall in the history of the game, too. Correct, yeah. And also, it goes by usage percentage um, as well as other things. PER can be a little misleading. But, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be one of the – if you're going to be MVP candidate, you should be top 10, and that's that. What is top 10? Like 25 and above, right? Let's I think, see. I think so. I think it's like 25 and above. I think Anthony Davis is when he had that, that season where he was like third overall in PER. It was like 31 or something. Yeah. I'm looking it up now. But yeah, so I mean, again, though, I feel like there was, if you look at the PER and you look at like the top 10 players, 
There was all like the MVP candidate type of guys. Like yeah, the Paul yeah. I mean, that yeah. makes sense. I mean, it's, the leaders in PER are going to be your most efficient and best players. Yeah, in the there's, league, there's right. a correlation there. So, I mean, Drew's at 19.43. Uh, Giannis was at 30. So, again, I guess that just goes... All of these guys that are on playoff teams as well, for the most part, in the top. So, I think the better surrounding that he is... Again, assist is positive points. Um... So if Drew Holiday is assisting more or he has talent around him, I think that's going to help him out a lot with the PEO. So let me ask you a question, and I'm going to break it down to Jakob Pertl. <laughs> is Jakob Pertl as bad as you're making him out to be, or is he technically a pretty efficient player on his team? Because 19, a 19 PER isn't bad. So he's the 56th most efficient player in the league. When adjusted to the pace and the minutes that he played. So a guy who only gets like 15 minutes per game has a chance at a positive PER because it is adjusted to that. So that just says the minutes that he gets, he does have a positive effect on the game. But Drew, again, yeah, Drew Holiday should be way higher based off of I the things he, that I said earlier. I, I think Jesse just wanted you to say Jakob Pertl again. No, no, I, honestly. Jakob Pertl. <laughs> honestly, like for me, Drew Holiday being a 19 in PER, it, it's not that big of a deal for me. I think, um, I mean, like, if he, if he bumped up to, like, 22 or 23 this season, I don't think you can ask for much more out of him, realistically. Like, I just don't think he's going to have this overall take-over-the-game effect like Giannis or James Harden has. So, naturally, you know, he, he's just not going to have that high of a PER. Yeah, and I think his, the portion of his game that's going to affect I think the most is going to be defensive stops, and that's really not weighted in PER. Like blocks and, and steals is, but if you shut a dude down the whole game, that's not going to be reflected in your PER. And we've seen Drew Holiday do that quite often this past year. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. You know, maybe His worth is definitely more than being the 55th best player in the league. I think we can put him higher than that. It's just interesting to see one of the ad- more advanced statistics that's common in the league, he's so low. Um, which brings me to my next point. And again, it's it's sort of an advanced statistic, but not really. We talked about this last podcast about uh, Gentry's pace, or two podcasts ago, I believe it was. And part of why we aren't translating Gentry's pace into wins, we went across several different things. And one of the things is free throws. We don't shoot nearly enough free throws compared to the rest of the league. And I think Drew Holiday is one of those guys who attacks the rim quite efficiently, quite um, effectively, and quite often. And he seems to be a top 10 player at field goal percentage at the rim for guards, amongst guards. But he's only shooting four free throws a game, which puts him in 40th place, which is surprising to me. Um, Number one would be James Harden at 10.7 free throws a game. But I don't want to compare him to James Harden because he's such an anomaly. I think a good comparison for Drew Holiday as far as free throw attempts would be a guy like Damian Lillard. I think Drew Holiday can get to the rim as easy as Damian Lillard. And Lillard is shooting six free throws a game. So I don't think it's a stretch for me to say if Drew Holiday is that guy and Drew Holiday um, is going to be our number one scoring option this year, like I feel he is, going from four free throw attempts a game to two is going to be significant for him. I think that will happen. Um, just naturally off the fact that you took Anthony Davis off this team, 
Davis shot close to what, 30, 20 to 30 shots a game some nights? Yeah. So those have to go somewhere, and it's not all going to go to Zion, right? It's not like, no. It's not all going to go to, you know, a, a lot of that responsibility is going to fall back on Drew Holiday to be that guy and to make these plays. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is even if you look past Drew's career, I remember when he was coming off that shin injury where he had to get that metal rod in his leg. He avoided contact a lot, so he found ways to make layups without receiving too much contact. I don't know if that's still in the back of his head, um, but I noticed, like, even last year, he, he did accept contact a few times and didn't get calls. We'll see if that changes now that he's the guy on our team. Um, because, I mean, Anthony Davis received some touch fouls that were just like, it, it was, you know, it was an all-star fall. He, he, got the, he got the foul call because of who he is. We'll see if Drew gets more favorable calls this year. I'm not expecting it to come from that. I'm just basically expecting it to come from him having more higher usage rates this year. Yeah, the team. and again, that's that's a good point. To get free throws, you got to attack the rim more at a, high, a higher usage, and I think that will be part of it. I think our style of play is going to be better suited for the players that we have now. So he's going to have a little bit more ability to get to the rim. Um, and we're going to, if if everything that this offseason has shown is correct, he's going to be the guy that we expect to do that often. So I would like to see that go way higher than four. But if he gets to like that Lillard range, that kind of like a Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal was at 5.7. If he can get to that range, I think that's going to help this team out a lot. You know what I hate, though, that Drew does often, and it's one of those shots where I'm like, God damn it, he did it again. When he comes off of a pick and roll sometimes, he'll have his guy on his hip, and he can easily just drive to the basket. But how many times does he stop and do a step back? Yeah. Like as a mid-range jumper, and it just always bricks out the back of the rim. I mean, every now and again he hits it, but even on three-pointers, like he'll have his guy on his hip, and he'll have a chance to go towards the rim, but he'll take like a tightly contested three-point shot by just doing a little step back. And it's just not an efficient shot. And honestly, like if your guy's on your hip, dude, you're, he's strong. Go to the rim and dunk it. Yeah. Or, or go to the or cut underneath the rim, look for a cutter, or look for an open shooter. But don't just stop, step back, and then shoot some unefficient shot, you know? I mean, and to your point, maybe it frees up that lane a little bit more with Anthony Davis not being there. So yeah, we'll yeah. see. You know, we, we won't have that guy. Anthony Davis is an elite talent, and I would be happy if he were on the court, but maybe it frees up a little things for Drew Holiday to attack the rim a little bit more. Yeah, uh, the two things y'all just mentioned were the two uh, that I would pick Drew to improve upon for this season, getting to the line, said it already. That's what's going to put him up to that next level. That's where all the MVPs get. They get you know, eight plus free throw attempts, uh, I think, uh, on average, if you're MVP and then, uh, yeah, he's got to work on a shot selection a little bit better. If he is going to take dribble pull-ups, uh, more then he needs, you know, he needs to hit him. Yeah. So, I mean, that sums up Drew Holiday for me. We, we've, we know who this guy is. We're familiar with him. He is a defensive specialist. He can score extremely well. He assists quite often. Um, we just want to get those free throw attempts up, and maybe his efficiency efficiency rating will go up with that. All right, so it's my turn. Um, the three players I got are again were Nikhil Alexander Walker, Etwan Moore, and Lonzo Ball. A little disclaimer: um, 
I didn't pick Lonzo Ball out of a hat. I walked into the little meeting we had beforehand and was demanded. I demanded Lonzo Ball. Yeah, he pulled. You know, he pulled. He was like, "Listen, I'm the host of the podcast. I'm gonna choose the yeah. guy that I want." I definitely. You want the- this wedding cake coffee? Yeah. You better get me. <laughs> yeah, so I pulled the dick move and I went ahead and chose Lonzo. And uh, I chose Lonzo because of a Twitter video I saw three minutes before y'all walked in, mm. and. There's something His I want to reality show? No. <laughs> the workout video. Yeah, yeah, the workout video. And there's something I'm going to point out on that because a lot of people I'll I'll save it when I get to to that to the to yes. what I talk about. Save him, time. save him. Do the other two first. So, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to talk long about Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ethan Moore. I'm just going to run through these guys so I can get to Lonzo. So, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um he's the shooting guard we drafted this year from Virginia Tech. Um if you watch Summer League, he had some really good performances. Um, surprised a lot of people. I mean, when he went into Summer League, I don't think anybody was really expecting much, right? Like He never had that role at Virginia Tech. Yeah, but um, he came into the Spelican Summer League. He was pretty much the floor general the entire time. Um, things I liked about him is he wasn't afraid of the moment. They gave him a team with a moment's notice, and he became a leader and you know made some really big shots. Obviously, he he was pretty high usage, um, shot the ball a lot, and wasn't exactly the most efficient guy. But when the ball was in his hands, you felt comfortable. He made some really good passes, and uh, you know he got the Pelicans far. You know, I mean, only we were really only a shot away from going to the finals or the semifinals or whatnot. But um, you know, I think he's a, definitely a guy we're gonna have for the future. I'm loving what I'm seeing on Instagram. He's mm-hmm. super close with Zion and Jackson Hayes. Absolutely. Even though Jackson Hayes has no idea how to roll a luggage. <laughs> that was funny. He yeah, reminded me of myself. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, back to that. I mean, I, I could read off his college numbers. I mean, he, in college he shot 39 percent and 37 percent from three. Um, seven. He's a he's a plus 70 percent free throw shooter. So hopefully that trend, uh, that's something that just doesn't disappear in the NBA. Yeah, like the, you, the free throw line doesn't get further or closer. It's mm-hmm. the same. So it's more or less as if he gets to take those free throws, if he gets to the basket and gets filed. Um, he didn't really, he didn't generate a lot of playmaking at Virginia Tech. I don't know if that was a, a, a byproduct of the scheme they ran. That's the scheme. But he definitely generated a lot in the summer league. And I know it's summer league, but... If he has those ideas in summer league, he can still do them, and 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 hopefully they translate in a regular NBA game. You know what that kind of reminds me of, just a little bit. Just a side note: you you ever saw a, a baseball player not hit the ball well because the pitching is horrendous, and then they get to the NBA and MLB, and they're going against pitchers who actually have control of the ball, so they hit a little bit better. You ever heard stories like that? Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of of Naw. Like he was playing at Virginia Tech in a scheme that didn't work with players that weren't starters. I believe two of their starters got hurt last year. And then he comes to the NBA with a scheme and talent around them. And he's able to be a playmaker all of a sudden kind of reminds me of that. The talent around him got better. So he elevated to that talent. Just a side note. So, yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen. And uh, he did two years at Virginia tech. Um, you know, he, he was, he was good enough to get drafted at, at a high level. And I think he's going to play at a high level. Just like I said earlier, I think if um, Frank Jackson doesn't, you know, play up to his potential. Um, Nall's going to be right there trying to get those minutes. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what he comes with. Um, obviously, if he doesn't play too much this year, I'm not going to be mad. He's still young, and he's still going to have time to develop on this team. We're still trying to figure things out as far as guards go, but he's going to be on this team for at least four years, four, five years. 
and he's going to get his fair share of chances to prove himself. Um, as far as things I don't like about him, I mean, let's be real. Like, we haven't really watched a lot of this guy. Maybe, yeah, he does jack up a ton of shots. Is uh, He doesn't have elite athleticism. Yeah, and he's not unathletic, but his uh, his shot's weird. Yeah, his guide hand, he just releases his guide hand so early, but he swishes him, man. Yeah. If it's consistent, it's consistent. He and, did, to what Jesse said about his shot selection, he did have a couple of Kobe moments in the summer league that yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. he can get away with in the NBA. No, and I think if he if he pulls that shit during a, an actual NBA game. Pull, it, pull his ass. Yeah. I mean, Gentry's not a guy who's who's low and calm and reserved. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you if you mess up, Gentry's yep. on I mean, I've seen games where I literally thought Gentry was going to have a heart attack on the sideline. So, he won't be able to pull that too too much and he's going to have to be very very efficient in the minutes he does get. But we'll see. I mean, I think most of his minutes are going to come after a blowout either or way and we're just trying to get him some time on the court. Um, the next guy I got real quick. I'm sorry. To interrupt. Yeah, you go uh, ahead. One thing I, that didn't, I wanted to say about Nala that did impress me from, uh, me watching him is his basketball instincts were high. Yeah. Uh, to where I think that could be a determining factor on his role on the team. And with that, I think that helped his defense. Cause you saw him get a lot of steals in the summer league because he knew when guys were exposing that ball and he took advantage. He had multiple steal and multiple block games. Yeah, uh, in the summer league, so I was really impressed with that on his end. And he's a he's a big point guard too. Yeah, size yeah, wise, six, he's six, six he's six five two oh five right now. Oh, I thought he was six six. Um, no, Alonzo is six six. Not bad. Yeah, but standing next to Zion. But yeah, standing next to Zion, he's not tough. much shorter. Yeah, right. and I, I think that's gonna help him. Like, he's not he's not. What what is Frank Jackson? Frank Jackson isn't six four six, and a half. Yeah, two? I thought he was like six two six three. Yeah, he doesn't look. At he doesn't. He doesn't yeah. look big on the court. Like Frank no. Jackson doesn't look big on the court. No. Nikhil Alexander looks big compared to most guards he's going against. So I think that will help him also in the league. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing for me with Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, he passes the eye test when you see him play. He looks under control. He looks like he belongs there. He makes intelligent plays. We were so psyched. When we saw his uh, summer league play, and I think that's going to tr- what he brings to the court is going to translate well. I'm excited for him to get those opportunities this year to see how he develops as the year progresses. Frank six three, by the way, six three. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the next guy I got was uh, Etwan Moore. Fun. Yeah, and actually, Etwan Moore became kind of interesting to me the more I kind of uh, read about him and, and studied him. Um, he's a guy we've been who's been a Pelican the past three years. Um, he hasn't really had too many durability issues his first season here. He played 73 games. Uh, second season here, he played all 82, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then his third year here, he played 53. A little bit from injuries and a little bit because he was kind of casted out. But I want to take back to the 2017-2018 season uh, when he played um, 82 games. Um, he averaged 31 minutes. But he had his best season ever as that team because, I mean, if you look at his win shares that year, he was averaging 2.0 win shares. and No, I'm sorry. He was averaging 4.4 win shares, and his, uh, wins, I mean, his value above replacement player was 1.2. So his advanced stats were very good. He shot 42% from three, and he's always been an above-average free throw shooter shooting above 70%. So that year, um, he averages twelve. He averaged twelve point five points per game, 
but he just seemed to have a statistically more efficient season, and that dropped off. So he went from providing 4.4 wins, win shares per game to 1.7, and he was actually a negative in value above replacement player. Mm. So I don't know exactly what happened, whether it was the injuries that were kind of nagging him to where he fell off so hard, but I think he's a player that maybe if he's healthy, he can kind of regain that player he was in 2017, 2018. Um, he's obviously a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. Um, it's a shot he takes 29, uh, as far as like frequency, he's taking catch-and-shoots 29.29% of the time, and he's making them 43% of the time. So... Hopefully, that's more of what we can see. I mean, that was last year. Hopefully, he can be a little bit better. But, I mean, if he's around there, I mean, I still think that's pretty efficient. He doesn't provide much as playmaking. And I think a lot of times he was asked to... I think a lot of times last year, especially with the way the season was going, he was asked to either be a playmaker or play out of position at the three, which he's not necessarily accustomed to. He's only six foot four. you know? Mm-hmm. He's not... He doesn't have blow-by speed. Um so he, the team should utilize him as what he is and carve out a defined role for him. So hopefully Etwan Moore can have you know some success this season. If not, I think he's another player that could possibly get buried on the bench behind Josh Hart. But we'll, we'll see how it goes for Etwan Moore this year. Yeah, and he's one of those players that's stuck between the rebuilding part of our franchise and actually trying to be competitive. So we want to give these young guys minutes and we want them to develop as well. But at the same time, if we are trying to make a playoff push, Etwan has that experience. He's been successful with star players in the lineup, such as Boogie and Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. So I think he's a guy who, if given a clearly defined role and he's playing along some of these guys who are getting a lot more attention than he gets, he can be a guy who fits in nicely as a puzzle piece but it's way in the way in the balance scales here like what do you want to do do you want him to get minutes and take away from some of these younger guys or do you want to go with the younger guys in more significant minutes and it's going to be a difficult decision to make for the pelicans franchise this year with him and i think his contract plays a big part in that too um he was one of those guys who the year we paid out solomon hill Mm -hmm. he also got kind of a big deal too and I think as time comes goes along, the team's going to weigh whether or not they're going to trade him. Um, he's only got this year left on his contract. Yeah, he's an expiring. So he's an expiring at $8.5, $8.6 million a year. So the team's obviously going to look to push him at the trade deadline, I think, for assets. Depending if if, well, if he's a positive part of the lineup, then, yeah, they're not going to trade him. But if he if he's just something sitting on the bench... I think they'll trade him to a contender or something like that. Yeah, his his role overlaps with the two guys I feel he's going against. Well, not, he's not really going against one of them, but J.J. Redick and uh, Josh Hart, you know, guys who aren't really playmakers with the ball, uh, going to be moving around the court, catch-and-shoot guys, um, and known for being in there uh, for essentially 3 and, three and D purposes, and you wouldn't put that through J.J., but I'll talk that later. Um, with... With Etwan, he kind of overlaps there, so I feel like whoever's the third guy out on that list is is going to be the one pro- probably on the trade market for sure. And with Etwan, the advantage he has over everyone else is how long he's been in the system. He knows what Gentry wants. He knows what he's trying to run. 
that's what's going to give him advantage in his relationship with the coaches, and they've seen what he can do when he actually plays really well. So Yeah, I think he's a highly trusted player, and he can be an amazing role player for a contender. I don't know where he fits with this team this year. I really don't. Yeah. All right, so this is to the main guy I want to talk about, and that is Lonzo Ball. Mm. Interesting. Oh man, I'm trying to figure out where to start because um, there's a lot. Yeah. I'll start. I'll start with the reason why I wanted to start this, and, and I'm going to start it negatively, right? And I know this is me being a pessimist, but this is what it is. It, it is what it is. The first thing, so like I said, when I watched that Instagram video that he posted on Twitter today or whatnot, like. This workout video where everyone's supposed to be stoked about what he's doing. Dude, his fucking shot is awful. <laughs> what is going on with that? Okay, so look at his shot. And, and it's not just this video. It's not just something he kind of does every now and again. This is something he does on every shot. And it doesn't matter whether he catches the ball high, whether he catches the ball low, to the right, to the left. The first thing he does when he catches the ball to shoot it is he drops it below his waist. Then rises to the left in front of like to the side of his face and then comes to the right and then flicks it. It looks like a flick almost. Yeah. It's, and, it's, it's awful. And like, not to get too technical about uh, like shot forms and whatnot, but a lot of NBA players actually do drop their shots to get into a rhythm and it's really quick. So you won't notice it unless you slow it down. The problem is He's not dropping it and going it straight up in like a, a ninety degree angle type thing. It's, yeah, it's very it's very circular motion. He's dropping it and he's kind of bringing it in a circle, and then it ends up on the left side of his face. But he shoots with the right hand. And the problem with that, and you see this with the best shooters, they have very little variance in their shooting motion, which means there's not a lot of motion from the catch to the actual shot. So there's very little chance for something to go wrong because there's not a lot of movement when that in terms of the shot. Um, so some of the best shooters in terms of form, like Clay Thompson, like the the Ray Allens of the world, um, even the Steph Curry's, like they don't their shot doesn't move too much from the catch to the release. Lonzo does a full type of like crescent around the world yeah. crescent move. Yeah, so like he does this crazy motion and what that does is it gives more opportunities to throw off his shot which i think happened a lot last year and i think it also i mean when he's got a defender tightly on him mm -hmm. it creates a more of a chance for his shot to get blocked mm -hmm. i mean if, if anthony davis is closing out on lonzo ball he's gonna get a piece of the ball every time because of he's dropping the ball if he catches it at his face right mm -hmm. the first thing he's doing is dropping it below his waist doing that little circular motion, and then releasing. If if he catches it at his face and you have somebody like Anthony Davis or any or Giannis closing out on you, you don't really have time to drop it below your waist. You, you're just going to have to do that flick. And, yeah. you know, I don't think he's... I don't think he's prepared to change his shot that much. So, that being said, one good thing about him is he's smart about his shots. He takes 32% of his shots are either open... Or twenty nine percent of his shots are wide open. It's a big number. So the majority of his shots are is he either open or wide open. Now, <laughs> this is the thing: is that because he's a bad shooter and defenses are just lagging off of him and saying, "All right, dude, go ahead, kill us," because we know you're not. Or is that because he's actually really smart about his shot selection? It's, it's both, right? I mean, he's a crazy smart basketball player. But if you remember the game against New Orleans, 
this past year? What was he? One in one for thirteen from three. Yeah, and I remember and a the, couple times where the, where the Pelicans were just like, no, dude, it wasn't shoot a couple of times. Yeah. It was the whole game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a little bit of both, but if with him, man, you just want to be consistent. Like if you're open, you need to make your shot, and you don't have to have perfect shooting form to make open shots. Not everybody in the NBA has this beautiful form that looks great every time it comes out. You just need to be consistent with it. And I hope Lonzo finds that consistency. He's obviously going to find that consistency when you're videotaping in an open court with no defender on you. I just hope it translates well to the court. Would would have made me more excited if I saw a video for 30 minutes straight where he was just shooting free throws. Like, that would have made me so, more excited. That's my next point, right? He is... God, I, I'm talking bad about a player that I'm about to tell you how much I like about him, right? <laughs> yeah. He's garbage as a free throw shooter. And honestly, like Tyler was saying, he's got to get to the line. You're wrong because he's he's so bad that I don't want him at the line. So just just to let everybody know, he's only, I mean, what was it? He's only, uh, he shoots, four, his first year in the league, he shot 45% from the free throw line. And last year he shot 41%. He's averaging one free throw a game. Yeah, how many mm-hmm. attempts total? Um, He's averaging... Pretty much about, pretty much one to one point four attempts a game. Yeah, total. So I think total, he's got uh, total. Okay, total. His first year, he shot seventy one free throw attempts mm-hmm. and made thirty two. Last year, he shot forty eight and only made twenty. Really, really small sample size, and he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't a great free throw shooter in college, but he wasn't as bad as he is now. Uh, he, was, he was still pretty horrific, but th- that goes back to what you were saying with why they're leaving him open on the perimeter. Yeah. If you're going to sag off a guy, the the negative to sagging off is being able to get penetrated in the paint. Um, they're not scared of Lonzo for that because of his free throw shooting. Lonzo is not finishing at the basket because of his free throw shooting. So because that's affecting a large part of his game and it's causing him to struggle on offense, he has to learn how to finish at the rim and he has to learn to make his free throws or he's never going to be a great offensive player. Yeah. And obviously durability, durability is a question. Um, his first season, he only played 52 games and last season he only played 47. So hopefully in this new training staff, um, he finds a way to stay on the court, um, long-term cause we're going to need him because what does strike me, why I do like Lonzo ball so much is his court vision, high IQ, and ability to pass the ball. Now, mm-hmm. all things fell last year. His first season, he averaged 7.2 assists a game, which is high as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He fell to 5.4, but that's not his fault. He went from being the main point guard on this team, the main ball handler, to basically being LeBron James's little brother. And he doesn't fit with LeBron Yeah, at all. so he just basically lost the ball out of his hands. So, and I think that's a big portion of why last season he was so underwhelming. He went from being, hey, this is my team. I'm controlling the offense and having a little bit of confidence. You know, when, you, when the team's yours, you, you have confidence. So playing next to a guy like LeBron James who just makes you feel, and this isn't, this is a knock on James, but this is just shows you how good LeBron James is. He's intimidating to play by. He's a, he's a guy that you're like, man, I, I'm nowhere near him. And if you're not paying attention right, especially with all the trade speculation, you can really get down on yourself. 
Yeah, and, and I was just about to say that not only are you playing next to LeBron James, you're playing next to LeBron James who doesn't want you there or who has said, give me AD, I can't win with these guys. Yeah, and... That, that has to be frustrating. And and a lot of passing opportunities weren't there for mm-hmm. Lonzo Ball this year because LeBron James, for the most part, took the ball up the court. Yeah, and ran so, the offense. And Question for y'all, I guess. Um, if, let's say, Lonzo gets started minutes, so let's put him at uh, 30. Uh, is he top five in assists this season as the NBA? And you got to remember the NBA has gone down overall in assist numbers. Yeah, he, he can easily put up eight assists a game, and that'd put him in the top five. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he can be. I think he can be there. I think he's going to get that opportunity this year because another thing is, just go on YouTube and look up like Lonzo Ball highlights in general. The majority of his highlights are always going to be in transition plays. Whether it's him getting to the basket or him getting to the basket and finding an open shooter or being just crafty and getting it, you know, pocket passes into guys, I think he's he's going to be the guy to handle the offense and be, to to assist people. I think he's going to be able to get to the ball, get the ball to the right players at the right time, so they can have the most efficient shot. Also, Lonzo's scared of the mid range as well, correct? Like he doesn't he doesn't he, does, he doesn't he doesn't ever shoot it. Barely any. Yeah, so, um, so that's probably because of that shot, Just a fun too. fact, guys. Um, Drew Holiday was fifth in the league in assists at 7.7. Yep. Drew Holiday can absolutely... I mean, uh, Lonzo Ball can absolutely average that many assists. I mean, he was at 7.2 his rookie season. So, yeah. so now you're you're basically putting him back in that role of his mm-hmm. rookie season. In a gentry run in offense. A ran, in a gentry ran offense. So I think he returns to his rookie season, if not better. I, I think he... Out of the, all the three Laker players, I know I probably said different. But now I'm standing here on the Pelly podcast, whatever date we are, it is. Write it down, folks. He's going to be the one to benefit most from that trade. And I agree. I, I said that when we were ranking the players, I put him above Brandon Ingram. He, by far, is the most exciting of the trade um, of the trade pieces from the Lakers, really? in my opinion. I, I really firmly believe that. And, you know, I know a lot of people have strong opinions on that. I can hear a lot of people talking to me right now, and it bugs the hell out of me. But I think that he, with Gentry's offense, with the players we have, including Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball does the most for this franchise in terms of how valuable he is to what we have and to what fits him. And as Josh Hart said um, on his podcast, when talking about Lonzo Ball, what is a junkyard dog if you're going to put a chain on him? We got to unleash uh, Lonzo Ball. We have to have him play freely. We have to have him with the ball in his hands quite often. And I think we're going to see immense benefits. And we're going to see a UCLA type of talent, Lonzo Ball. So a cool thing that I like, because I got to get some positive in, is um, his defense. He's very active on the defensive end. Oh, yeah. He will be locked down with Drew Holiday. Absolutely. Um, but something that's not going to get talked about, and I think is going to be really cool with this team, is between Ball and Holiday, they both they both are above average rebounders as guards. So they're not afraid to go up and mix in with bigs, come down with the ball, and push the pace. And I think that's going to be important. Um, Lonzo Ball averages around 6.5 rebounds a game, and I think if you average it out through per, per 36 minutes, he's closer to 7. So I think when it comes down to it, when either of those guys has the ball in their hands and they're going to be, you know, coming down on it, they're going to push the the pace and be able to get open shots or or an open lane to the rim. And I'm sure he does that on purpose because that's a big part of transition offense, grabbing the rebound and pushing. Yeah, yeah. And that was on a team that really didn't 
utilize that type of style of play. And like I said, everything about Gentry's offense cages to Lonzo Ball making a pretty big jump. It wouldn't surprise me if Lonzo Ball was the most improved player this year. Okay, so if Lonzo Ball shot 70% from three on 100 free throw attempts, is he what best ranked player on the Pelicans? Like, what would his rank be? For yeah, the like, you know, would you have number two, number three? That's, that's a tough call. Yeah, around three or four. Third or fourth best player on the Pelicans. Because that's his yeah. weak point. He fixes that, you know. Well, if he if he gets to the free throw line more and shoots it efficiently, that'll be a big deal. And look, as far as his three points, the three point percentages goes, like, it's not terrible. We, we make a big deal out of 31 and 30%, right? But, like, what if he just makes like six or seven more? That's almost like an it almost equates to like one whole percentage mm. point. So he's not far off. It's just no. a little things he might have to fix that maybe in this offense, maybe maybe being in a different situation helps him. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think we've we've talked at length about what his role is going to be in this offense. But I get so excited just thinking about a six six point guard. Playing next to six five Drew Holiday, and the offensive offensives trying to do pick and roll, and we just switch everything with athletic long guards that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen Drew Holiday stick everybody from Damian Lillard to Kevin Durant. I think Lonzo Ball can do the same as far as switching goes. So mm-hmm. that's the one of the biggest things I'm excited to see Lonzo Ball with is. Of course, the offensive stuff uh, we hope to see an improvement on, but what he has already is defense and his ability to play defense next to Drew Holiday and switch on literally everything is going to be amazing to watch this year. And how well he knows the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, like I said, he's, he's a high IQ basketball player and he has a very, very good feel for the game. So I think we'll see. I think he'll be a positive asset to this team. Yeah. And that's pretty much all we can ask for out of that trade. You know, I mean, obviously... You know, we'll talk about Ingram, and we you talked about Hart, or who? Who? Yeah, I'm talking about. He's talking about Hart. So we'll see. Um, but obviously, we talked a lot about negatives, but you have to be aware of his shortcomings. Yeah, and his negatives are so talked about so often, and they're so glaring that it kind of it it doesn't take into perspective the positive things that he can bring. And I think I think Gentry will do a good job at hiding his negatives. We the have, best he can. We have the talent to do it, yeah. right? We do. We have the talent to do it. So. so that's the end of my little segment. So now Tyler gets his shot at... My uh, turn. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I got uh, Josh Hart and JJ Redick, uh, the two podcast boys, are the last two guys on our list. Mm. Um, and I have a lot of things that excite me about JJ. Uh, not so much for Josh, but Josh can still be uh, exciting as well. So I'll just start with uh, Josh Hart. Um, so the number one thing that jumps out for me with Josh Hart, and I'm sure it jumps out to y'all too, is his charisma, confidence, and basically his demeanor about the team. You know, David Griffin said he's never gotten a call from a player before like that saying, don't trade him. I'm excited about, you know, I want to stay with this team. I'm excited about where we're going. And, you know, he's already really believing in this team and, and what they can offer. Now, that could just be like, hey, you know, he wants to make sure he keeps a role in the team, wants to be a guy, wants to be a fan favorite so he can keep a roster spot. But even so, from everything I can see about him, he's a he's a team player and he's a very adaptable player. Uh, so some some other big things is one one thing I came across with uh, with 
Josh Hart was he actually, besides Tyson Chandler last year, he had the second highest two-man rating with LeBron. So he can play with with the best of players, and, and he can lead uh, to pretty great things. And he fits that role of a 3 and D player as well. Uh, he, he's got the size. He's got the length. Um, he's 6'4", just like, just, just like Etuan and JJ. But he you know, came into the league shooting, uh, at a pretty high percentage, 39%, uh, coming in uh, on his rookie year. And his problem was he, he dropped off after that. You know, he, he, from what it looks like, he's been having knee problems since he came into the league. He's been having knee tendonitis and with that knee tendonitis, uh, he had gotten a steroid ejection along, along the way that didn't work. And he ended up having to get a, a knee surgery on, on there. Um, and you kind of saw it when his knee started bothering him. You just saw his game just across the board go down. Uh, and there, there were points where you could see his role kind of diminish on the team as well as LeBron's trying to compete. So, you know, time to move to the next player and see what they got. Uh, what what was some positives y'all took away from Hart? I mean, if he doesn't score a point this year, just what he's brought in terms of his Twitter presence and his social media presence and his Twitch presence, um, and just from the day that he was traded, he wore a Pelican shirt. He's constantly hyping the guys up. When we did the um, podcast about our rookies, in the interview process, the rookie said, were asked um, who reached out to them, and it was Josh Hart. So just from a culture presence, he's yeah. that guy that you want around. So anything positive that he does on the court, I think it's just a bonus to what he brings to the locker room presence. I think that's a real thing. We see what it looks like to have a locker room meltdown. Josh Hart clearly looks like one of those glue guys in terms of personality, in terms of being personable with these players. And I think that's a huge addition and I'm happy he's here. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, there's not much more to say about that. I mean, he looks like the type of guy that wants to be here, and that's all we can ever ask for. I mean, we've seen so many players not want to be here. Um, something interesting, I don't know if y'all listened to his uh, The Lighthearted Podcast, but something interesting he said is uh, he plans to take a big, and this has nothing to do with basketball, I'm sorry, but he plans to take a very uh, prominent role in creating an esports community in New Orleans. Like He's mm, like super like heavy into esports, and he was like, I plan on making it like, before I leave New Orleans, I plan on making it a, a pretty big, prominent thing in New Orleans. Is like yeah. bringing this down here and and hopefully getting maybe a two K team for the Pelicans. So yeah. that'd be kind of cool help, to see. Tyler, you can help him out with that. We're gonna have Microsoft, you know. Mm. Help him out a little bit. Now I'm playing, but uh, no. One, one interesting fact about the injury, just to bring it back to basketball, uh, Jesse, um, <laughs> is the knee injury. When I read up on it, was similar to two knee injuries. Recently, one was Joel Embiid. He had a very similar kind of like tendon strain on his patella tendon. And they rested him for two to three weeks and it healed. And he was able to play the rest of the season. Josh Hart, they gave him a little bit of rest. Not as much as Joel Embiid. But he felt like he was good enough to play. And his his every every statistic that he had started to continuously dip. And I remember even watching the Lakers play one night and he went up for a dunk and he couldn't finish the dunk. So he opted out. Um, he opted to have surgery. And it was the same exact surgery that Anthony Davis had in the off season of the 2016-2017 season. 
And then the next season was probably Anthony Davis's best season of all time. So um, that was the the Portland Trailblazers series win. So he's having a surgery uh, and he's having an injury that just recently players have come back 100% from. So I'm excited about that. I hope he returns to those three-point form that he had his rookie season. Also, he's a he's a great finisher, um, and what's really good is he's actually a good corner shooter. So J.J. Redick, of course, can shoot from the corner. But uh, as far as the Pelicans go, we've never had that corner guy. Mm. Yeah, Never had that guy we could shoot it in the pocket. We tried to just, force some guys to yeah, that position. Yeah, Moore is one. They, just, they, they were never comfortable there. Big Dante Cunningham, though. To take that role and, and yeah like that's that's the quality we've had so just a couple things that kind of uh, scare scare me a little bit about josh hart coming into the season what the big one would be his knee but you know of course like jonathan said it looks like a good sign that he can come back from that um and it's an issue that probably should have been taken care of a lot sooner than it was but one of the things that stuck out so we talk about lonzo ball doesn't you know only shoots threes and only goes to the basket and and but actually worse than Lonzo Ball is Josh Hart. Uh, Josh Hart basically is a Maury Ball believer. Okay, so he shot uh, pretty much he shot really good from three. He was a great finisher around the basket, great finisher, sixty-seven percent I think, uh, something like that uh, around the uh, zero to three feet from three feet. To the three-point line, he only shot 15% of his shots in that range, and he did not shoot good at it. So he does not, he is, if it's a mid-range game ball, he does not touch it. He does not shoot it, and, you know, that can that can actually hurt you. If people know you're not going to take that shot, and they know where to hold you, they it makes you easier to defend. It makes you a little more one-dimensional, but... It, he's a smart guy. It looks like he's just adapting to what the league's throwing at him, and it looks like uh, a system that works. So he's just going to take a lot of threes, and he's he's going to go to the basket. You know, he's he's not really looking for that mid-range game because that's not where the NBA is going right now. But I still believe you should have that in your arsenal to be a legitimate offensive player. I would say overall, as far as my outlook on Josh Hart, I think Josh Hart has the capability to be a great role player in this league, and I think he can be that role player for the Pelicans, especially if Etwan Moore is uh, out the door. And uh, I think we'll see that we'll see that good shooting to where the point where you know shooting on the Pelicans actually might not be as big of a concern as we think. It'll probably just be with that starting lineup. Any anything that scare you about uh, Hart? No, I mean. Injuries are a part of the game. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he can come back, and uh, I'm pulling for him. Yeah, I just I hope he knows his role, and he plays that role extremely well off the bench, and I think he could be a positive asset in that regard. So next up, Mr. J.J. Redick. There are tons of things that excite me about J.J. Redick. His so, podcast, his hair. No. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> are, are we gonna are we gonna remember the time you ranked him low and the Pelicans important? Rankings? I'm I'm actually gonna put him up. Hey, he wasn't that low. Wasn't he like five or something? I had him two, and you looked at me like I was an asshole. I had him three. Yeah, I don't I don't have him there just because I, we we discussed why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, I'll eat crow and whatever. Uh, I I probably would put him a little higher right now, but I think I had Derek Favors too, which I still believe that. 
if I'm not mistaken. You did no, have I Derek. Had, I had Derek. I had Favors Ingram two. two, Favors three. Yeah. Honestly, I would switch that now, given the chance. I was just really excited about Ingram's potential. Nope, but can't go back. Yeah. It's, not, what, yeah. It, it's, it's whatever. It's etched in stone, Tyler. That's fine. Anyway, to JJ Redick. So one of the, one of the things that stood out to me is actually you know for just being a shooter, JJ Redick gets to the line at a pretty good amount, uh, three and a half attempts per game. He actually averages right around what uh, Holiday averages as uh, as a free throw shooter. So while Holiday needs to improve for a guy who's just a shooter, you know that's a pretty good amount. And of course, when he gets to the line, he's pretty much automatic shooting almost ninety percent from the line, and that's great to have at the end of the game. Which is why I think we all think JJ Redick will be in the you know and lineup right he'll end games with this team i think so okay yeah um so one of the other things that excited me immediately if you watch jj reddick play what they did a lot with uh joel mb uh you know joel mb like to kind of hang out around the three-point line a lot well one of the things they did to help with that is they would give MB the ball and like uh and basically do a uh handoff with jj and set a screen for him and JJ would just eat defenses alive on that. And that, I think, is only going to benefit him on this team with Zion and Favors. And I think it's something he talked about uh, a little bit coming in with that. But these are both great, you know, big guys, great screen setters, good guys with the ball in their hands. And Zion's got some playmaking ability to where, you know, just set a big screen for JJ. He comes around. JJ is, as far as just me watching it, one of the best off-ball movers in the game. Yeah, and he, re- he, he has been for quite a few years now. Yeah. Just the off-ball movement is insane. Um, I hope that Gentry and Chris Finch can draw things up for him, and I'm sure they will because yeah. we haven't had a shooter like this in quite a while. His, he makes his defensive guy work. He's just that guy you go up against and you're like, you, you know you're just going to be running across screens all night. But with that off-ball movement, you know, he's and his and his high basketball IQ, he also, you know, will do some of the dirty things as well. He's actually a pretty decent screen setter, and he's not afraid to set screens for the bigs, you know, coming down into the paint like he's crossing. Um, uh, and I, that that just shows how good of a teammate he is, and how he's willing to put into work and contribute in other ways besides shooting. But the big thing for us for our team is his ball gravity that he's going to have like jesse said it is going to be the first time we've had a three-point shooter that good in forever and it is really going to make a difference on the court and i think you'll see that and i think if lonzo struggles enough early on you may see him get slotted out or brandon ingram you may see them one of them get slotted out and reddick put in the starting lineup uh in place just be just because of that that's such a big thing especially for a fast break team you know, having a guy that's got to go out to the wing instead of collapsing in on the paint is just going to make it that much easier. And uh, last two seasons, just a quick stat for you guys, he had a true shooting percentage of over 60%, which is just insane, um, especially with how big of a volume shooter he is from three. And, you know, and that's going to be a lot because of his free throw percentage as well. And he is not a liability on defense. So, you know, you think you look at him, you think shooter, you think he can get he does get targeted on defense. But I think when you look at Philly, when he got targeted, you know, it was really just because he was kind of the smallest guy out there and probably least athletic, actually, definitely least athletic thinking about it. Uh, But he's actually got pretty he's gotten much better as a defender and 
He's not he's not great. He's not like, you know, gonna lock somebody down, but he knows where to be. He knows his placement. And he if he's getting torched, he's calling it out on his man. So, you know, I'm not scared of having him out there for, you know, defensive purposes. Like if we gotta run a defensive lineup, sure, put Lonzo out there, but I don't feel like we're gonna get, you know, torched because we have JJ Reddick out there, like, you know, you see with a lot of shooters. Um, so I have a lot of good things to say about JJ and that's just some of the things I picked. So do y'all have anything good about him? I mean, I think he's going to be a great asset to this team. I've always said that as far as the shooting goes, um, I hope his legs are still there. He's starting to get up in age. So I'm hoping the shooting form from last year doesn't really change. I'm hoping it stays consistent like it always has. Mm -hmm. Um, minute wise, I wonder how long he can be on the court. Because, like I said, what is he, 30? How old is J.J. Redick 35, now? 35. 35, yeah. 35, yeah. So, obviously, you know, he's he doesn't – the better part of his career is gone, you know. Which, it's funny you say that because he had his best statistical, best statistical yeah, season. Yeah, last so year. maybe he's Benjamin Button. I don't know. But, um, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, though, um, he's going to be, like I said, our second most player important player this season. If he's doing everything he did in Philly – he is going to open up so much more for the rest of the team. He is going to be what draws that attention away from the basket. Yep. And and, and allows driving lanes for other players. Yeah, and just look what he did for Philly last year and look what he did for the Clippers organization before that. Um and just a fun fact, uh Alvin Gentry was the associate head coach, I believe, JJ Reddick's first year with the Clippers where he went off. So, mm-hmm. I think Alvin Gentry knows how to use JJ Reddick perfectly and I think he's going to be extremely well. Um, suited for our system with Alvin Gentry. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's only a couple of things that scare me about uh, Redick. And one of one of them, I think, is it really important to what this team is. So we pretty much think that J.J. Redick's coming off the bench, correct? Yes. The numbers would indicate, just going off of last year, his, his best season, uh, that he's actually you know better in the starting lineup than on the bench. So they had the uh, Markel Fultz experiment last year in Philly uh, finished off, but they did start the season with him to see how he worked. And basically when JJ was there, he was getting pretty much around the same amount of minutes, but he was coming off the bench and pretty much his shooting efficiency dropped across the board. Only place it didn't was uh, at the free throw line. But uh, he, he, when he came back into the starting lineup, pretty much got the same amount of minutes, but his, uh, his efficiency shot through the roof i wonder if that deals more with who he was on the court with though yeah it's and i think that's going to be the biggest thing for the pelicans to figure out but kind of quick out of the season is who is efficient with who yeah exactly and you know he might need to be with uh, a better playmaker around him to be successful you know and we talk about frank if he can be that playmaker if he's running out there with frank jackson and you know, Frank can't get him the ball in the right spots, then we got to put him with somebody else, or we got to get somebody else out there with him. Yeah, or just play JJ Redick with the starters. Yeah, Sub one guy out, put him with the starters. No, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the other the other big thing for him is, and this is something that's actually talked about with him a lot, is his regular season play versus the playoffs. So his numbers, you know, come playoff time when it comes to field goal percentage as far as above the arc, drop down a lot. Um, so just over the past couple, he's been in the playoffs pretty much every year, you know, since he's been with the Clippers, uh, since he started with the Clippers. And you can see 
just pretty much every season his three-point percentage uh, from three just drops, you know, a good bit uh, in the playoffs. And teams kind of key in on him more, and he's not making as much shots, and it's it's hurting how he's out there. Um, and he, you saw that this year with Philly. Well, he did shoot better um, in the playoffs than he usually does with Philly this year. But there were times you saw where he got he got targeted, like I said, defensively. Um, and if his shot wasn't falling, he was hurting Philly out there. So, you know why I, I wouldn't mind if his percentages drop in the playoffs for the Pelicans this year? Because that means we made we the playoffs. The playoffs. How fun yeah, would that be? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I hope that we get to say something along those lines at the end of the year, you know? So um, is that pretty much it for you on JJ? Reddick? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, honestly, overall, there really isn't too much bad to say about him, especially for the type of player he is. He knows what he is, and he's really damn good at it. So over the past week, um, I don't know if y'all watched the video, DeMarcus Cousins, mm. RIP, man. That dude, uh, God, man, what a fall from grace. And, and I feel bad for the guy, really. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Um, is it this, I don't know if it's the same leg, but, um, man, he's to go from when we were with against Houston that night where we thought we had the team of the future mm. to just, man, thank God he didn't take that contract from Dell. Dude, if you, uh, if you, if you have a short term memory loss, just look up highlights with Boogie Cousins in the Pelicans and God damn, what I mean, a even squad the, that could have been. Look at his, look at his stats with the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. I mean, wow. To, to just that one injury just derailed his entire career. And, I mean, he he, he was so promising. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say anything shitty about the guy. Like, you, you can talk about the what he said about the team after he was let go. But, I mean, obviously being bitter is, is, is part of the game, you know, when you want to be somewhere. Um, but that's just rougher on him. And yeah. what I will talk about as a joke is the fact that after his uh, injury news got released – the Lakers basically said they were kind of interested in two players. Now, one, they said it was just due diligence with um, with Dwight Howard. I mean, if anybody remembers that experiment years ago. But another... Oh, man. I already know who you're going to say. A, a report came out that the Los Angeles Lakers were heavily interested in Alexis Agenza. What are we doing? What are we doing here? What, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, They're not, like this no. is I, I know every podcast we trash the Lakers moves and we trash the fact that Anthony Davis went there. But Anthony Davis went there because he wanted the best opportunity to win. Dude, you're literally they're literally building the same team around you. And, and if one more person tells me, oh well, y'all didn't have LeBron James. Dude, who gives a fuck? Like, literally, it's the same team except LeBron James. And, yeah, you can say LeBron James is because people have been dissing him a lot that he's going to have this breakout, like, this season from the gods. Like, whatever. At the end of the day, like, he's not getting that much better of a team around him. He's getting the same team he had in New Orleans. So you can't tell me you went there because you wanted a better opportunity to win. No, you went there because you get to be in Space Jam too. Yeah. Because you're unmarketable, so you need the city to market for you. I mean, that's plain and simple. Look at all the marketing that Zion's getting. I mean, hell, Jackson Hayes. Look at all the marketing that that dude's getting in New Orleans. So Anthony Davis doesn't know what he wants. It's clear. And uh, what's interesting is I think their expected wins went to like 49 or like 48. 
it dropped. It's under 50 now once that injury news happened. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are expecting Boogie to kind of have yeah, like a comeback, comeback year. Well, yeah, know? yeah. I, and I, think, I was expecting that. I think personally they go Howard or Joakim Noah. Yeah, that too, yeah. And I mean, as of right now, their starting center is um, JaVale McGee, who will be a good stopgap center. But I mean, they're, they're going to need... Oh, man, dude. They, they It's what we said. Like, if that team has a couple injuries... It's gonna be hard for them to excel or be anything other than what we've seen before. So, and it's already hitting them. I mean, it's only with the season hasn't even started, and they're already down a a pretty important piece. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. starting one of their starting players is done. So, yeah, wish the best for Boogie. I hope one day he plays in the league again. But it's tough to recover from. He, he's just gonna have injuries. to take some significant time off yeah. because with that Achilles injury and his weight. He's going to have to take a long time off to let that entire leg heal, and he's going to have to condition himself to be a player again. Yeah. I wouldn't expect to see him in the league for another two years. Yeah, and if he does come back, he's going to have to like make himself like a Brooke Lopez type of guy, like a skinny yeah, shooting gonna, center. He's going to have to get a role. Cannot be a high-usage player mm-hmm. at this point. So I wish him the best of luck. Um, we're going to do a fun fact. Yeah, we got we got two minutes to do a fun fact. So, quick fun fact for you guys: When I was researching um, some players for tonight, I came across this kind of a cool fact. Uh, this New Orleans Pelicans player's middle name is Clay. Do you know who this is? And the reason it's Clay is because his father made stoneware pottery, so they named his middle name. Clay. I have no um, idea. I'm, I'm going to guess. It's got to be one of the players you talked about. No. No, it's, no, no, I don't it's know. not one of the players you talked about? No. Okay, so I'm going to say it's Josh Hart. It's J.J. Reddick. Oh, okay. J.J. Reddick. I was just looking up some fun facts because that's what we do at the Pelly Pod. We just look up facts <laughs> and I came across that and his first name is Jonathan. His middle name is Clay Reddick. Jonathan Clay Reddick. All right. Well, awesome podcast, guys. Thank you for that random fact. Uh, <laughs> honestly, okay, so if we had a video camera here, which one day we will shoot uh, footage, you would see uh, a Drew Holiday signed shoe. And you might think fun facts are not important, but the only reason we have this shoe is because Jonathan knows random fun facts. And mm-hmm. we won a contest at the Pelicans game uh, to win an autographed shoe based upon fun facts. So that might help you one day. Uh, but great episode. Next episode, we're going to focus more on the forwards and centers of this team. Uh, we've already drafted, but we're not going to reveal who has who yet. But uh, so next time we're going to pay attention more to those guys and we'll obviously talk about Zion favors and Ingram, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a we have a quite a few fun podcasts coming up, guys. So stay tuned. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for joining again and we'll see you next time. Later. Later.